Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for braving the weather. Get here. Happy Father's Day. At our house, we call it Ugly Tie Day, as you can see. This is from the Dwight Schrute uh, line that he went, he kept, went together. Uh, our, for 25 years, my uh, family gives me an ugly tie on Father's Day so that I might wear it up here. This year, I said, hey, you know, the, most of the kids are gone now, and so we can stop this. She said, no, we're going we're gonna to keep doing that. <clears throat> you know, it didn't occur to me until I was driving in that this was really uh, anger. I mean, uh, my first Mother's Day gift to her was this egg slicer, and she keeps talking about it still, and because it was practical, and, it, and it's, we still use it. And then I bought her uh, a vacuum cleaner one time for Mother's Day, right? It was the best one you could buy, so stop it. And then, and then I bought her an ironing board. Yeah, right. But by then, I'd worn her down, and she was actually glad. It's like, wow, this looks like a really good ironing board. Then, so she's smiling and all that, and grateful. But on the way in today, I went, oh, I get it. I get it. You give me that egg slicer, we're going to start a new tradition, ugly ties. So this is all about getting back at me for some other things. So anyway... Let's talk about what the Bible says about a good marriage, okay? Can we do that today? <laughs> Let's do that. I think it would be good to learn from an owner's manual about the way things are supposed to be done instead of going back and forth this way. So it, in Genesis, it says this. It, it said, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female, man and woman. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And, when he, and then he says, and God saw what he had made, and it was very good. We're studying the Song of Solomon together, or the Song of Songs. It's the ultimate of all songs, Song of Songs. And it is an eight-chapter book that teaches us how to, it's a very practical book, how to make marriage very good. The way God meant it to be. It's a very interesting book. We've seen already, this is our second week now, but we've seen that the way we're going to be able to learn from this book is by observing. We're, this is a love letter. It's a love diary, and we, we observe what they do and how they do it. We drink in. It's poetry, so we drink in all the senses and the emotions. We engage in their emotions, and we draw from those choices, those sayings, those, the, the metaphors that they project, and we learn from them. It occurred to me that this is like a picture album. It's a, it's a married couple that, that are long in their years, and then this book is like turning pages, looking at the photos of when they were uh, just dating each other. That was last week, and when they became engaged, and their wedding, and their wedding night, and the arguments they had, and how they reconciled, and are living now, to, you know, right, happily ever after. That's what the, the book is, and that's how you can understand it uh, more effectively if you see that it's not necessarily in chronological order. Now, one of the things we learned last week, surprisingly, especially for an Old Testament book, uh, something that's antiquated, uh, she is actually um, the lead character in this, in this book. She uh, writes first, she initiates most of the conversations, and she, and she speaks the most. Uh, he's not lacking for words to say in his appreciation and encouragement of this woman, but again, it's, it's, uh, much, much of this is from her perspective. It, the book starts with her saying, you know, as a married, uh, uh, loving wife, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for, for his love is better than wine. He, she says, hurry, take me away with you. Let the king bring me into his bridal chamber. She has a lot to say. It's a beautiful book. 
Now, the lessons we learned from last week that are important for us to build upon this week is, one, is uh, the ideal relationship, a great relationship uh, between a man and a woman is eye to eye. It's on an equal level. If there is uh, a feeling that someone's up on a pedestal, they need to come down, or if somebody's down in the ditch, they need to be picked up. And whether you're married or not married, this is the first thing you need to work on. If you feel like you're lucky to have me, that won't develop into a healthy relationship. Or I'm lucky to have you, that won't work either. And we see these two looking at each other equally right, confident, and secure. And that's the power that uh, allows them to continue in their growth together. Now, the, what's, what's fascinating in this story is that was not always the case with her. That's the beautiful part of this story. She, she didn't feel that way about herself. We see that uh, she's quite ashamed of her upbringing and the way you know, she's had to experience life, especially in contrast to um, the daughters of Jerusalem, the, the sophisticated city girls that are, that are pale and um, well-mannered. So we find in the early chapters when she's talking about herself, as she's just getting to know the king, she says this, do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm dark and because of the sun. I'm sunburned. Because my, my brothers are angry with me, and they make me work their vineyard. And I can't even take care of my own vineyard. I can't even take care of my own body. And so she sees herself as, and we're supposed to look upon that emotionally and, and feel pity towards her. Because she is from a very poor family, and her brothers are probably kind of mean to her and make her work in the fields. And when she thinks of the, of the king, her quarter looking at her, she, she hangs her head and says, you know, my back is sunburned, my hands are calloused, I'm, I'm, I'm not the right person for you. But <laughs> throughout this book, it is the power of praise and its ability to transform a soul that is thematic. The power of praise. She is taken up by him and praised to the place where she can see eye to eye with him. She, and, they, and actually what happens is you'll see it, it gets progressive. They like one-up themselves. They're going back and forth praising each other. They praise each other for their worth and self-image and self-doubt is destroyed. They praise each other for their ambitions and that encourages them. Encourage, gives them courage. It encourages them. They praise each other uh, for their beauty and you can, you can almost feel that this maiden here is no longer bent over and shameful. She, her shoulders are back, her head is up, and she is enjoying the love that she has from her boyfriend. Now, today's lesson, when we look at uh, what we'll look at the next section of scripture, it's actually a couplet of poems, and the two poems have kind of a separate storyline, and they also have their own application. The first one is going to it's going to be in chapter 2, and we'll bring us to chapter 3. And it's a date that they're looking forward to. It's a good way to envision this, and they're looking forward to getting together. It's, it's life with each other. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, she, let's just say she goes home from the date that night and goes to sleep and has a terrible nightmare because she, she can't find, in her nightmare, in her dream, she can't find her lover, and she's very concerned about that. And, and we, we learn from that, the way she deals with that. Okay, so let's learn about how they uh, envision each other as, again, as their, as their relationship progresses, it will get deeper and bolder and more expressive, but they're, they're insightful and wise about the progression of their commitment towards one another. Okay, let's learn together. Let's listen for the passion, the excitement, and the desires of what's taking place. I'm in chapter 2, verse 8. This is her talking. She goes, listen, 
listen, my beloved, listen. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering in the lattice. Okay, that sounds super creepy, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, right? I mean, that, but we have to add some context to that, if you don't mind, because, guys, if you do this, that's how you go to jail, okay? There's, there's probably something more to this. If you can, first of all, I want you to see how she sees this man coming to her. You know, he's a gazelle. He's, he's this young stag, and, and look at his enthusiasm, right? He's bounding and leaping. He's, he's looking and peering. So in a modern expression of this, if we were to tell the story, it would be when we, maybe we've been dating for quite some time and we're really starting to get connected with each other and we have a date plan. And so I would drive or you would drive, the guy would drive to the house, probably in a hurry, yielding, not stopping so much, pulls into the driveway, jumps out of the car, runs to the front door, rings the doorbell, rings the doorbell. So he starts looking, right? There's a little window in the top. I'm looking, can't see. Wait, I hear somebody in the back. Listen, listen. Okay, so I go around back, and I, it's a wooden fence, right? And I'm looking through the wooden fence. I, I see you back there. I see you. Don't be shy. Come on. Let's go out on a date. It's spring. Let's drink of spring. That's what he says. Look, verse 10. Remember, they have nicknames for each other. Beloved is what she calls him. My darling is what he calls her. Verse, my, so she's, he's, I think he's speaking from the fence in not a creepy way. Okay, remember that, guys. Not a creepy way. My beloved spoke to me, and he said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, look, winter is past. The rains are over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. It's the season of singing has come. The cooing of the dove is heard in our land. The fig tree, look, look, it forms its beautiful early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. Don't be shy, right? My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding place of the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. It's a tantalizing song, isn't it? It's wonderful poetry. As he's expressing how much joy he would have, look at the spring that's happening all around this. I couldn't help but think of uh, Bambi, right, when they're in the movies, right, when they're really young and they're playing and everyone's innocent. And then, you know, the winter happens and then the spring starts. And now Bambi's a young stag. He's a young buck now. And all of the guys are hanging together and, and uh, things are happening to them. And now they're starting to find friends of the opposite sex. And, they, and, the, and the, the young ones don't know what's happening, you know. And the owl says, oh, they're Twitterpated. That's what's happening this man. He's Twitterpated. And I want you to see that she, since she's writing this, she's loving it. She loves her effect on him. Okay? He, he wants to drink deeply of the spring. He wants to go on a picnic with her is what he's doing. So let's, let's go out on a picnic. Don't hide between those rocks. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. Let's go spend some time together. Let's enjoy our continued progressive deeper relationship. And then she says, I mean, they'll go on the state, but she says, you know what we should do? And I think they're having a relationship definition here, the defining of their relationship. They're seeing it getting progressively more intimate, and they say, you know what? We should be careful. Look what it says in verse 15. Let's catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyard that is in, that is in bloom, that are, that are in bloom. Our, our vineyard, our relationship 
we need to make sure the foxes are outside of us, right? So they're external forces that could ruin this very special thing that we have. So let's keep others outside. I think, I think she's saying we need to be very cautious about what we do from here on out because now it's getting much more significant. So let's be, let's be super aware. Let's be on guard. I'm not going to see anyone else. You don't see anyone else. And here's how we know it because verse 16, here's the verse that most of us know from this psalm. If you know one sentence from this book, it's probably this one. My beloved is mine and I am his. See, she's, she is saying, look, well, uh, the other translation is, I'm my beloved and my beloved is mine. And this is how it looks in Hebrew. It, it is beautiful in its, in its speaking, but also in its design. Even in the Hebrew language, it's artistic. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. You know what it means? It means I own you and you own me. You own me and I own you. They have given themselves to one another. There's no more dating. There, I would say at this point, they're engaged. And this, is, this idea of commitment is where we get the ability to, to go deep in our relationships. It's commitment. Because commitment gives birth to trust, and trust is the soil that this will grow. This relationship will grow, both in depth in its root system and right in, in its height and its fruit. Trust. It's this commitment. It's not uh, their personalities and the way they interact with one another. That's good. It's not their appearance because that will fade. It's good, but that will fade. It's not in, in their um, love for one another. It is in their trust and commitment. It's about commitment. And you can't say these words unless they're true. If someone says these words to you and you don't have the same value, you need to stop and slow things down. Because in this, in this statement of commitment, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I belong to you and you belong to me. It's an unveiling. It's saying I am in a place where I can trust you. And we should be shielded, right? Because it's for, for our own sake, our own safety, our emotional safety. So we shield people from things. But then when we get to this level in, in a relational, right, psychological, spiritual relationship with someone, we're, we're saying, I'm going to open this up to you. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And that's why you find the sentence on, on wedding rings and on cakes, and people tattoo it on themselves, because it's saying, I'm giving my trust to you. And it's, it's, it's a gentle, it's a delicate thing. It, it has to be honored. It has to be, it has to be, um, it has to be protected. It has to be protected. Because when you say words like that, when you give yourself over to someone in that way, it's a very natural thing. It's a human thing. It's a good thing to want to give them all of you. The way you're to fall in love is to enjoy someone's spiritual life first. It's spirit, soul, and then body. And we do it the other way around. We wonder how we get in trouble. But if we, if we find somebody and we enjoy their spiritual lives, their insights to uh, the, the wonders of God and, and his love and, and truth in their life, and then we realize, wow, they have a, a, a personality, some traits that I enjoy, and then finally they say words to one another and you want to give your body to them, that's all natural and good. And when someone says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine, 
I am yours. You belong to me. When people say that to one another and they mean it, they're going to want to give their bodies to each other. Natural. But you can't. And so while, while they go on this, this you know, defining of their relationship date and they exchange these things and let's protect ourselves from other people, we're going to be exclusive to one another and they give themselves to one another. It's interesting. Look what happens next. They say, until the day breaks... And the shadow fall, flee, and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle and a young stag on rugged hills. Turn. turn. You know, this has been a great date. You should go home now. I think we've said everything that we can say, and now we're only going to do things that we're going to regret. Could you turn and run along, my young stag? Because that's... That's all for tonight. Thank you. This has been amazing. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Leave. Please. Hurry. Right now. Bye, my young staff. Bounce around like that gazelle again. Here's, we'll look at that in just a few minutes. We'll look more at that. But, but I want you to see that this part of the passage, and especially chapters 1 uh, included, leads up to this conclusion. This is what we can learn so far from this, is the power of praise. And, and I want you to know that I come to that conclusion because of the, the many books that I've been reading. And, and one particular scholar, scholar that I enjoy that's an expert in Song of Solomon, he says this. I'll put the long quote up on the board for you. Uh, this section affirms the importance of making praise an intentional part of your relationship. Focused reflection on the good attributes of the person that we love. And we regularly communicate our praise and contribute to the growing appreciation for the beauty and the worth of our beloved. Regularly expressing appreciation to that person fuels the flames of, a, of the relationship that keeps the passion and the excitement alive and growing. How do you keep it alive and growing? How do you extend it over the years? You continually praise over and over. This is the power of praise. That's the lesson up until this point. Uh, once upon a time, once upon a time, in a land far away, there was a young maiden that was beautiful, but she, her beauty was hidden by her, the mistreatment of her family. But her character could not be camouflaged by dirt and ashes and soot. She had great character. And then, and then, a prince came and found her and saw her for who she was. And he picked her up and he cleaned the ash off of her and dressed her in a gown and made her his queen. It's the story of Cinderella. And you can find that story of a downtrodden maid uh, in almost every human culture. And, and there's a folklore of this type of story found throughout human history because it's, it's real. I mean, the earliest ones that we can record go back to 7 BC where a, a Greek slave girl is taken by an Egyptian king and sees her for what she is and makes her the queen of Egypt. That's 7 BC. This is 900 BC, and this is the story that we're talking about. The purpose of marriage, listen, the purpose of marriage, your role in your marriage, in dating, it's a leading up to that, right? So your purpose in marriage is to be the primary utility, the primary thing, the primary purpose that the Spirit of God will use to bring your mate to completion. 
you will be used by God first and foremost to bring your Adam to a place of where he was meant to be before the fall. If you're Eve, you will be used by God's Spirit. It's the first tool that he's going to use to bring your, you know, Eve to that place where she was meant to be if there were no fall. And listen, intimacy, sexual intimacy, supercharges the power that we have. That's why marriage is this primary tool to be used, because the sexual intimacy adds mystery and a spiritual dimension that cannot be explained in any other context. And, and again, words, regular, persistent, encouraging words transform a soul. You know the number one bait, I guess, for an affair? You know how affairs get started? Almost always by a stranger and acquaintance giving encouraging words. The people involved aren't looking for sexual intimacy. Someone just said, wow, you know, you looked really wonderful today. Wow, that was an amazing thing that you did in that last meeting. You should be proud. Some people haven't heard that in so long. They just say, now what? What did you say? And that's the downside of it. But marriage, marriage. look at the, look at the combination of things that we've talked about. Because of this, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I belong to you and you belong to me. And then we make these vows and commitments between, you know, before God and our friends. And so we've, we make ourselves completely vulnerable and open to change. And, and because of that, we have the ability, as the person that, that, that's married, we, we have the ability to use truth and encouragement to transform people. Now, it's, it's for another day, and it's not in this book, but the, the, the marriage, your mate, the most painful surgeries, cutting remarks that you should experience is probably going to be from your mate. It's supposed to be. Better them than a boss or a friend. So it, your, your husband, your wife is supposed to say, you know, just laying next to you saying, you know what, honey, listen, listen. When all's been said and we're arguing over all the details, but here's what's true. You're proud and you're stuck at proud. And you'll stay there for as long as it takes. But I love you. And I have to go mow the yard. So there. I mean, that hurts. But it's felt deeper because it's true and it's by a person that's committed to you and you share your lives with. Your mate is supposed to be the person that's bringing truth to your life. This passage, this book says it's also the person that's supposed to bring encouragement to your life. It's supposed to be the person that not only takes you off a pedestal that you built for yourself, but also brings you up out of the dirt. You're supposed to love your mate selflessly. You just give selfless love to your mate, looking at them as, as you playing your role as the unique person, the only person playing this part to be used by God to say, okay, I'm going to work with God to see what he has for you. We get to be the people, right, that presents our men. They present their wives to Christ, holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. We'll do that by the washing of the word, right? We, so in our application for this section, you need to choose to be that. And the only way you can be self-forgetful to, to be able to give selfless love to someone else, and it's not about you, it's not some angle to get what you want, you have to get that from Christ. What God asks us to do in marriage will always bring us back to the gospel because we have to, we have to grasp deeper the power of forgiveness and, and, and the joy of the, of the resurrection of righteousness that we inherit 
And we, we use that power to give us confidence to love, to be givers of encouragement to change life. Praise, praise for good. Okay. That, that's, that's what we're finding out in the first, the first of the two poems. The second poem starts in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. She's, again, she's come home from her date. He went home. It was, it was a good time to go home. It was a safe time to go home. She has a nightmare that night, and she's, roam, she's wondering uh, where her, uh, her fiancé is, and she's traumatized to it by it. I love the phrase. I'm using the King James Version because of the way she describes him, the one whom my soul loves. Some of your translations will say the one whom my heart loves. So look at verse 1 through uh, 3, I think. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my soul loved. I looked for him, but I could not find him. And then I, I get up now, and I go about the city, and throughout the city, in the square, in the streets in the square, I search for the one who my soul loves. And I look for him, but I could not find him. And the watchmen, they found me as, as uh, they made their sound, their rounds in the city. And so I said to them, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? <sighs> That's rain there. Scarcely had I passed when I found the watch this. She's going to find him. Watch what she does. Scarcely I passed when I found the one my soul loved. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house. So you can see she's in this panic. She can't find him in the room. She can't find him in the house. She goes to the street. Have you seen the one who my soul loves? Hey, uh, the, the night watchman, have you seen the one who my soul loves? I don't. Found him, grabs him, takes her to the mom's house. There's no father in this story. What do you suppose she's doing? She's planning a wedding. This guy's done, friends. It's over for him. We're picking china and flatware. Let's go to mom's house. And, and that's, that's why she's doing this. But listen, again, as this continues to escalate, <laughs> you know, it rained at this exact same time last service too. And we told them, and I'll tell you, if you've been the people praying for rain, you can stop now. Okay, I think we're good for a while. It's getting kind of weird now. So now we're having deeper conversations about greater commitment to one another, right? We're going to mom's house. We're planning a wedding. And so even in her dreams, I find this uh, impressive about her character and her, is, and, and her instincts. Even in her dreams, she knows it would be a very good thing to keep her distance. Because after these deep conversations about our future together as husband and wife, she says in verse 5, forgive me, daughters of Jerusalem, let me tell all the young ladies out there how to do this. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There it is again, the third time in three chapters, a warning. And one of the interesting um, perplexities of this book is this dichotomy between, and, and we usually pick one or the other, but it has both. They have passionate expressions of commitment and sexual uh, togetherness, and at the same time, they break hard. They know when to stop and how to stop. And, and I think because they know when to stop and how to stop, they can continue to talk at this level of speed and, and depth. Because, because they, what the, look, they don't, she, she's saying right here, right, she's saying it's time for you to go home again run along my young stag. She understands that she could ruin all the wonderful things that they have going for them in their commitment with each other. And the more they talk about their future together and the more they commit to one another, the closer they get to getting in trouble with each other physically. 
And so she says, listen, daughters of Jerusalem, don't get these things started. Don't start something you can't stop righteously. So here's some insights from this, the things you need to know. The first, there's two kind of applications for this section. One is to wait. You have to wait. Our sexuality is so powerful in its capacity to bind us to one another. It is, it's like fire. It's like a a small bonfire. And what's, here's here's a better way to think about it. We we design houses so that we can bring a live fire into our house. It's amazing, right? If you've stopped and thought about that, right? We're going to have a fire in the house because we have a thing called a fireplace, specifically designed to hold and contain a fire. It's made out of brick or stone, some kind of mortar, right? Glass and wrought iron. And in the confines of that house uh, or of that fireplace, all is well. Have fun. And what does it represent, right? right. You know, metaphorically, it's, it's safety. It's, uh, it's home. Uh, there's, there's warmth and light there. Some of the high points maybe of our, some of our memories, if you have that in your background, just sitting by the fire and just enjoying that. Okay, the marriage vows are that fireplace. The power of fire, the power of our sex life is contained within the vows because now you can do this. Now you can be bound to one another in such a deep and spiritual way. You, you, you can enjoy all of it. There it is again. You can, you can enjoy all of this inside after you say, you swear to God in front of friends and others, right? And you say, I swear to love for better or worse, rich or poor, right? Sickness and health, all these things. I am bound by my oath to God to be there always for you. And, here's, and that protects you, and, and again, it ignites the power of it. When we take that fire and we take it out of the fireplace, it burns everything to the ground. I mean, how many times have you seen a picture like this? <laughs> How's that fireplace? Great. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, the, that's what's funny. It's like, the fireplace is doing great. Okay. It, it did what it was meant to do. The primary teaching of this section of the Scripture, and you see it throughout, is that, yes, right, this, the, the potency and the wildness of passion, right, but also great restraint. The potency and the power of it, but also with great restraint. Sexual intimacy has a purpose. And it, and it, it, it connects us in ways that nothing else can. It binds us together. It, it's great for reconciliation. And, and if you know, in married couples, you've had your arguments, and then you, you take responsibility, and you make your sincere apologies, and then usually you celebrate it in some way. And it's like a broken bone that's been mended, and it's sometimes stronger than it was before. So sex has this power of connectivity and reconciliation, but also mystery. Okay, God adds this to our spiritual to our lives so we can have a spiritual experience in our marriages that say, that make us stay back and go, what was that? That was other, that was other world. That was from God. And and so what happens with people that that take the fire out of the fireplace, uh, it, when they break up, when, you, when you've had sexual relations with someone, you've made these commitments to each other, and then you break up, you, know what, you peel, you tear off. It's just like a divorce because it's just like a divorce. You made promises. You gave yourself over. You made yourself vulnerable, and it is very much like a divorce. 
And if you do this a lot, it's like getting multiple divorces. It's like, it's like sticky tape where you use it and then you reuse it and then you reuse it and then and it's not so sticky anymore, right? It's losing its potential to bind because it's being, it's being worn away. It's becoming fearful. Your soul becomes fearful about what commitment means. So if you, here's the thing. If you, want, if you want a great marriage over here with, with all kinds of levels of of expression of oneness that can only be explained in a spiritual context, how do you get that? How do you get that? Well, you, you start here by, you start one step back by saying, I'm not going to give myself to anyone outside the boundaries of the fireplace. I'm only going to do this where it's appropriate, where it's, where it's approved by God. Well, how do you get to that point? Well, you're only going to date people, right, and only be attracted to people that have that same value, that have that same exaltation for the depth of words and the power of intimacy. Well, how do you get that? Well, you don't even look at people. Why would you date someone? You start before that. How do you, I'm not going to date anyone unless that, and I'm not going to be entertained by someone. And how do I even get to a point where I'm not going to be entertained by someone that I might be physically attracted to, but they don't have these values in the same destination? Well, you start here with you, friend. You start here with you. If you're single, I don't, it doesn't matter how old you are, you, you have to resolve, I will not, I will not settle. And I know, I know about loneliness, but I, I, know, I know enough about loneliness to know this. There is a depth of loneliness when you're single, and maybe you've attended you know, one or two too many weddings, and you feel like your ship has sailed, and there's, there's a, the, the, whole, the whole bed feels so empty, you're, and your, your life feels alone. But friends, there is a loneliness that transcends that that is beyond description when you are sharing the bed with someone that you're married to and you don't respect them or they're a bully or they're not a person of integrity and you're in a, you're in a, like a twin bed where you're, you have to touch each other, but you won't. Your heels touch and they go away. There's a loneliness there that you will long for the days of your singleness where you're crying yourself to sleep. Don't fear. Don't fear your current loneliness. Fear choosing poorly and not ending in this destination. You, so, so wait. Wait. It's, it's, it's worth it. It is worth it. Okay? Play, play by God's rules. He loves you so much. The second thing is, is, is a little bit of a contradiction to that. For, is don't wait too long. <laughs> okay, don't wait, but don't wait too late. And here's what I mean by that, right? Uh, there, you're not going to believe this. There's an actual sentence in the Newer Testament written by Paul that says, uh, it is better to marry than to burn. Do you know, what, uh, you know what it means, better to marry than to burn? Here's what it means. It is better to get married than to burn. That's what it means, okay? And so, you know, if you've resolved some things and you've become the person that God wants you to become so you could be attracted to somebody that you could date someone that you could, right, make these pledges to and I'm yours and you are mine, we belong to each other and you get engaged, when you get engaged, do not wait here too long. You are, you are playing with things that you can't handle because you're exchanging words that are transcendent and they have the power and you're, you're, you will want to Give yourself to them. My brother and I, we were stupid, okay? And there's a list of stupid, but here's one of them. We used to have a contest where we'd light firecrackers and see how far down the fuse it could go before we'd throw it. Hey, you're not going to believe how this ended. No, you're not. 
Yeah, we, yeah, we always, you know, they blew up in our fingers, right? And we'd come in and my parents would just roll their eyes, just, you guys are stupid, you know? <laughs> Go back outside. That was the, that was the parenting model. But uh, isn't that, that's what I'm referring to here. How long can you drag it? The older you are, in my experience in the in ministry, the older you are, the shorter your engagement needs to be. Because right? you've probably figured out a lot of things in life, and you've probably picked that person. It doesn't take as long as it, it did when you were in your 20s. Let's go. How fast can you get to the altar? When I was engaged to Melinda, we experienced all of these things, and there were a few times where she said, you know what, it's time for you to go home, my young stag. And, uh, and I, it, was, it was not going to end well for us. There's so much guilt that happens in, when, you, when you cross those barriers. You end up fighting with each other, projecting your guilt on one another, arguments you wouldn't have otherwise. And we weren't quite there yet because God saved us. I got an internship a 1,000 miles away from her. That was safe. That was about the safe distance for me, a 1,000 miles. And, um, okay, this is not a model for anyone, but... I called her in May on the phone and said, hey, do you want to get married? That was the engagement thing. And she said, yes, I think I do. And then about, I don't know, that was in June, maybe by June 15th, I, I called her back and I said, hey, so, you know, we were talking about getting married in December, and I know that you like like a Christmas wedding and all, but what was the reason we were doing it in December? Oh, that's right. We won't have any money. Uh, you have a roommate. I can't get out of a lease and all that. And I said, I said, Okay, okay, you need to know this. The next time I see you, I'm coming after you. Do you understand that? The next time I see you, I'm coming to get you. She said, yes, my young stag, I do know what that means. I said, how about, how about we move our wedding to September and we just get poor, but we get to share, you know, a bedroom together. I can do that. Let's see. And you, listen, you can have a wedding in a week. We've done a few around here. You can, so mid-June, mid she's planning a wedding in September. And I fly in, and she flies in on the Wednesday before the wedding. It's the first time we've seen each other. I saw her on the far side of the room, and there were too many people to knock over to get to her. On the, we, on the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner, I had my groomsmen hold me back. I was coming. And then when we got married, our wedding day, okay, her grandmother got lost getting there. And at, at, at 7.07, and we start at 7, and at 7.07, I called it. I'm the groom. It's been seven minutes. Galaxies are born in shorter times than this. Let's go. <laughs> During the wedding ceremony, I'm looking at the minister. Let's go, 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 go. We're at the reception. It's kind of just right off the church uh, building over here. I'm like, can we leave now? Can we leave now? It's, you have to cut the cake. Okay, cut the cake. Eat the cake. Let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> My brother has a really nice car, so we get into his car, and he's driving us away. And I'm, hey, Mark, could you drive it any slower? <laughs> he says, this is supposed to be a, small, you know, a slow ride to your place. I see, okay, okay. St. Anthony Hotel, honeymoon suite, get up there. And so, um, anyway, so <laughs> we, we, get, we get into bed, and I say, tell me about your day. And she starts telling me about her day. And I fell asleep. I was like, all hat, no cattle. I was done. I was just, it was so late. It's like, what? I tell you the story because by the grace of God, he intervened in our lives and put us a thousand miles apart. We moved our wedding, no harm, no foul. We were poor, dirt poor, but we were sharing a bedroom. It was better to marry than to burn.
We didn't wait too long. Wait, but don't wait too much. Listen, let me just conclude quickly, okay? Uh, This is what God wants for your life. Does it sound so bad? All the sewage that you hear a billion times a year on what love and relationship is about, Could could you put that where it belongs and flush it? Listen to me. This is what God wants for you, that you would meet someone and find yourself enamored with their interpretation of of how God loves them and the truth and and, and his justice that will definitely prevail. And you start looking at them and you seeing that you enjoy their spiritual life. Next thing you know, you enjoy their consistency or their predictability or their tenderness or their ambition or the crazy wild hair that they have. And you think, you know what, God? Not for my sake, but for her sake or for his sake, I think I could be the person to bring them to completion, that your spirit would use to bring them to completion. So you fall in love with their spirit, then you fall in love with their soul, and then you get attracted to their physical being, and then you promise to God in front of your family and friends that nothing could separate you except death. That's not a bad thing. And having no sexual experience or even um, uh, visual experience, you go to right your wedding room, And that person that you see becomes the gold standard of what beauty is. And it's the only person you'll ever feast your eyes upon. They are the definition of majestic expressions of the female body or male. That's it. You get in there and you make some mistakes. You fall off the side of the bed. You laugh a little bit. and You say, hey, you want to spend the next 60 years trying to do something right? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's spend 60 years trying to figure this out. Is it so bad to be naive and innocent on your wedding night? Is it, is it so terrible? Why did a virtue like virginity become a vice? How did that happen? It's still a virtue. It's a great thing. God has only beautiful things for you. Lean into that. Look, two hard applications today. Heavy, right? So let's pray for God's grace in our life in both of those. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we lift up uh, today to you. And, and I know there's people here, they've been married uh, 5, 10, 20, 30 years, and their mate has not, not been encouraged. Uh, their mate maybe even is worse now than when they met. And God, I'd ask that those men and women would see that, that your spirit would convict them of the fact that they haven't become what you would have them become because they lacked grace and truth. They did not encourage and praise. And Lord, I'd ask that they would become that type of person that would be selfless in their love and that their their gift to them would be selfless, self-forgetfulness. And they might love and enjoy their their mate and bring them to that completion. Give them the courage maybe to seek help in that. And Lord, I know there's there's a lot of people that haven't experienced your best in the ideal. And Lord, I'd ask that you would help them understand that there is power in forgiveness. If we take responsibility for our, our decisions, we can be healed. So Lord, I'd ask that you would encourage uh, these people to take responsibility for the decisions they've made now that they understand the power of sexual intimacy and for its connectivity, for its reconciliation, for its mystery, that they would now enjoy the fullness of what it was meant to be. 
And with that, they would have a life change by your power. Lord, we lift up our lives to you. We want to be connected to one another. We want to be connected to a mate. We love, we love that. We want to be connected to you. We pray with great hope of your intervention in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.